It's a call to, to wholeheartedness. So we started off this time asking, what is it that makes you come alive when you do it? What is it that when you do it, you come alive, you're passionate about something? Is there something that you can identify that you just get excited about? If you had some free time, if you had a free day, what, and then you could do this thing, what would it be? And is it something that has any worth worth now? To those around you, worth to yourself? Does it have worth, eternal worth, you know, afterwards in, in doing it? And so let me just start with a story in the Old Testament from a guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah got sick. He was going to die. And all of a sudden, he got very desperate before the Lord. And listen to his prayer. This is what he said. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. That's not the word you want to hear from a doctor or a prophet. Set, get your things in order, right? Because uh, you're going to die, and you shall not recover. And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness, with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah and he said, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And will defend this city. What a beautiful story. What a, what a positive story. One that looked like a pretty sad story. But then another 15 years. I don't know how old he was. We'll say he was 60, 70. Who knows. Right? But God adds 15 years to his life. He claims. He says, I've, I've served you with my whole heart. I've done what's right. Like, don't forget. God, please don't forget. I, I believe I've really been after you. All right? Now, I don't know if any of us can say that in the room of our lives, but if God were to give us another 15 years on this earth, will we live wholeheartedly for him and his purposes? Or another, another way to put it, why should God give us another 15 years on this earth? You know, what are we going to do with the time that we, we do have? Now listen, listen to David's charge to his son Solomon when Solomon was going to become king. Okay, David had lived as a king, and David was a wholehearted man. He was all in. He wasn't perfect, but man, he worshipped God with a whole heart. He he devoted his life to God. He he, he walked with God. And, and then he charged his son, he said, Solomon, my son, know that the God of your father, or I'm sorry, and know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So hear, hear the charge from a father to a son. One king, a godly king, to another godly king. And a godly king who ended up, a wise king who ended up not finishing well in the end. 
but he asked God for wisdom, and God had chose him to build this glorious temple for his namesake, for his glory. And so what we see in the scriptures in Old Testament and New Testament is we see this call to wholeheartedness. Whether it's the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God has designed us to live for him fully. He's designed us to, to, and, and demands, he requires that we love him with all of our being, that we give all of our strength, all of our energy directed towards him. Now, as I think about this, and I think about this idea of living fully, I can't help but be reminded of Eric Liddell, the missionary to China, the sprinter, a Scottish sprinter, rugby player, and a Christian missionary. And this is what he said. He said, I believe God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I love this statement. This is a famous quote from Chariots of Fire, if you've seen the movie, right? Or um, and, and so Eric Liddell, if you, I don't know if you know much about his life, but he ended up, um, the Japanese ended up um, capturing him, and he ended up dying. And some of his last words are reported, um, uh, it's complete surrender. It's complete surrender in reference to how he had given his life to God. God wants us to live wholehearted. He wants us to be fully alive. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly, John 10.10. Life in its fullness, quality of life, not merely existing. Yet how many men settle for merely existing in this life and they just go about this life from day to day with no passion, no purpose, no direction. It was St. Irenaeus who said, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Um, I, most of you know that I was able to take six weeks away over the summer and had time to get, get rested up. I was by no means passive during my sabbatical. Though it was restful and refreshing, I was active. I was active in pursuing God. I was active in enjoying God and enjoying the gifts of creation, my family, enjoying exercise, bike riding, pickleball, kayaking, hiking, jogging, cool air in the mountains. It was amazing. We went to summer camp. One of the highlights of, of my summer camp was, um, well, the, 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 the counselors there are, when, when you talk about wholeheartedness, the counselors there go all out. They jump, some of them jump about that high off the ground. They do cheers frequently. Just, they are high energy. It's loud, cheer, cheering, Jesus-centered fun. Sports, lots of, lots of sports, lots of fun. It's a big win for our whole family. The meals are great. I mean, it's just an amazing time. So um, one of the things, we've been going for three years, and, and that's one of the marks that when I look at these counselors is, is these guys are all in. Like, they are all in. They sign up for it. I don't know how much they get paid, but they are pouring themselves out, sweating for Jesus, loving on these young people for Jesus' sake. And, and it's inspiring. It's refreshing. And they just serve our socks off. They won't let you get up to get anything. They bring it all to you. If you try to pour your own stuff, they're like, no, 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 let me do it. And they just serve your socks off, and you just feel like, man, I'm, I'm in heaven, right? So anyways, 
um, these guys, these guys, um, they beat. So at the end of the week, they they play the moms and the daughters play the the counselor, female counselors, and at flag football, and the dads and the sons play the counselors. Now, one of these guys was was the track runner. I saw him just sprinting, and he's in college. He's running track. His, his nickname was Wormy, and he was just booking it, right? Another guy I heard played football in the Cotton Bowl, and I think I went for him, and, like, I, I totally, like, missed him, did the splits, and was kind of embarrassed in front of everybody. But it's like this big thing at the end. So this year I bought some cleats, all right? I was ready to give it my all on the football field out there. Whether we win or lose, do it all for the glory of God, all right? And so I got out there. I'm like, man, I want to be a receiver. Let me get out there and be a receiver. And uh, these guys are fast, man. And, and uh, the very first time that I've, since I've seen it, the dads and sons beat the counselors, all right? And it was the last second of the game, last second of the game. And I got the privilege of catching, catching the, the touchdown pass, all right? And I was able to score... Two, two of the three touchdowns that we got. And it, was just, and it was just an amazing, amazing time. Amazing moment for me. And in that moment, I felt fully alive. I poured myself out on the field, and I just felt like, gosh, we won. Whether, and I think I would have felt great if we would have lost either as well. Because I just gave it my all. I had a good time. It's not about me, whether we win or lose. We do it for the glory of God. And we enjoy the ride. Okay? And so this was a moment that I got to experience. And actually that day, the devotional, the family devotional, was talking about living, uh, living out the word. Giving, just being, obeying God. And I was talking about this very thing. How God's wired us to, to diligently seek him. To obey him. To give our lives to him and really everything that we, sh- we do, we should give our all. So here's our big idea. God has designed us to live fully by seeking him and loving him with our whole heart and by working heartily for him with all of our might. Here's the problem. I've already talked about this a little bit. We have distracted hearts. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, Right? Lust for other things, the, the thorny ground. We have distractions in this life that just crowd our hearts and that, that it keeps the Word of God from being fruitful in our lives. We have divided hearts so often. D- double mindedness, divided hearts. David prayed, Unite my heart to fear your name, or give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. We have deceitful hearts. We can so fool ourselves and do some mental gymnastics and fool ourselves. Now, granted, when we're born again, we get new new hearts. By the way, me and Rob, we came to Christ the same year, 1998. Yeah. When we get born again, we do get new hearts, and we have an inclination towards righteousness, a trajectory towards righteousness, towards truth, towards love. But we can still fool ourselves. We could still hear the word and think, oh, yeah, that's good, but not do anything about it. And James says, you're fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourselves if you're hearers only. We could preach the word. Hear the word, study the word, memorize the word, but not live it out. And James says, you're, you're deceiving yourselves. Our hearts are deceitful. We, we, we tend to have anxious hearts. We get weighed down by all that's going on in the world, all that's going on in our family, all that's going on in our own life. We become fearful. Isaiah says, say to the anxious, the fearful hearted, be strong. 
Be strong in the Lord. Behold, your God shall come. Hardened hearts. The Bible warns us about not, not having hearts that are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's these little compromises, kind of like our, our, the weight that we can subtly gain over a period of time. And just you know, taking it easy with the diet. And before you know it, you're, you're way overweight. Right? And, our, our, and, and the same with our hearts. If we don't guard our hearts and protect our hearts, there's this callousness. We, and we allow ourselves to be desensitized by the things that we watch and listen to. And, and, and little by little, our hearts are becoming callous and hardened. Or broken hearts, hurting hearts. Hearts that are just torn apart because of life circumstances or relational issues and, 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 and we're just disappointed and disillusioned and, and, and men become passive because they're hurt and they just don't want to get hurt anymore. Just leave me alone. I don't want to take any risk. I don't want to step out. Just don't hurt me. So we put these barriers up and heavy hearts. We get hearts that are just weighed down. C.S. Lewis said this in, in Ashley reminded me of this the other day, and I'm so glad it fits well here. He says this in his book, Way to Glory. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies, mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Half-hearted men Passive men is a problem in our culture. The pastor, uh, author, and pastor, church planner, John Tyson, uh, he pastors in New York. He, he wrote this, sharing his heart, and he speaks a lot to men uh, and fathers. He wrote a book called Intentional Father, which I highly recommend for any dads out there. Great book. He says, I weep for the half-hearted men I see around me in New York. Satan doesn't need to tempt them with great sins. They wouldn't even have the energy to commit them. Half-heartedness is enough to hold a man in a living hell. Women may keep their vows, but their dreams will die married to half-hearted men. Children will stop running to the door for a half-hearted man. Sinners will turn from the gospel of a half-hearted man. Co-workers will work around a half-hearted man. History will, will bury in obscurity the lives of half-hearted men. A man cannot thrive with half a heart. We're made to live wholeheartedly. Here's another thing, and this Tyson shares this uh, from a guy uh, named Daniel White. <clears throat> He says, and this is a quote from a from a monk uh, who was speaking to uh, it's David White. I'm sorry, David White. In this conversation, he was exhausted. Okay, and he just says, "Man, speak to me about exhaustion." And this is what the monk tells him: the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest; it's wholeheartedness. Let that sink in. That's a profound statement there. Like, yeah, we all need good rhythms of rest. Some of us work way too hard. And when we give all of our energy to our work and we work, work wholeheartedly, but we leave nothing or very little for God, we call that idolatry. Okay? And so God does want us to work with all our might unto him. But he's first. He is to be first. And the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest, but it's, it's wholeheartedness. And just think about when, when you're 
pouring yourself out to pursue God and to do what God's called you to do in this world, in your relationships, in your work, and in life. Don't you just lay your head down on the pillow at night and just sleep so much better? Like you've been versus being idle or passive or lazy or, or maybe working hard and not doing what you're supposed to be doing, but just kind of not being able to really rest because you haven't really given yourself fully to the right thing or something. Um, the, the, the monk goes on and he says, the reason that you are exhausted is that much of what you are doing, you have no affection for. You are doing it because you have an abstract idea that this is what you should be doing in order to be light. You are exhausted because your energies lay elsewhere. You have been ripening yourself and you are ready to harvest yourself. And if you don't, you will rot on the vine. So here's, here's my first point here. God requires wholeheartedness in our devotion to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is not the great suggestion. This is the great commandment. And God knows, God knows that he's the only one that we can give our heart fully to and not have our heart broken and disillusioned and disappointed. He's the only one that can rightfully hold that place in our lives. And not let us down. Those who chase after other gods will be filled with sorrow. Psalm 16.4. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sometimes God uses really difficult circumstances to get us in that desperate place to where we start seeking him more earnestly. Lord willing, we're going to talk about that tomorrow in Psalm 63. So another thing to consider is that faith is necessary to please God, and faith leads us to seek him. Okay, Hebrews 11.6, can anybody quote it? And I like the King James because it adds the word diligent. You got it, Bridger? By, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe that. If we're going to be wholehearted in our pursuit of God, we need to really believe he's there and not live like functional atheists. And we need to believe that, it, that he will reward us. It will be worth it if we seek him. If we spend time to draw close to him with his word open, in prayer, reflection, just spending time with God. We looked at Psalm 119 um, uh, on Sunday, and, and he, David or the psalmist says, "With my whole heart I've sought you," and that's in the context of the Word of God. It was in the Word of God that the psalmist sought the Lord. Um, also, love for God leads us to seek Him. David said, "I love the Lord because He heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, for mercy because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him." As long as I live, God has loved us by reaching out and delivering us when we couldn't help ourselves and save ourselves. We love him because he first loved us. We seek him because he first sought us. A.W. Tozer says that it's the the paradox of love. To, To have found God and yet still pursue him is the paradox of love. Okay? And he's found us. He's rescued us. 
David exemplified a wholeheartedness. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. David's a great example. Who was living all, all he was all in as a warrior. He was all in as a worshiper. He was all in as a warrior. He was all in as a king. He was all in. But he wasn't sinless. He failed significantly. Even people who are wholehearted and all in can go full blast, full speed in the wrong direction. That's what he did with Bathsheba. (laughs) We're prone to wander. But we have a greater David and a greater king, and that's Jesus who lived wholeheartedly for the glory of the Father and for our good. He said in John 17, 4, that's a, that's, a mis, that's a typo. John 17, 4, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was all about the Father's business, all about it. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He kept in tune with the Father's voice. He only, um, when the friends and family and culture was trying to get him to do something that the Father wasn't leading him to do, he pushed back on it. Like he was on a different schedule. All right. He, he had different marching orders. He was all about the father's business. And Jesus just poured himself out. I love that. I love that scene. Anybody watch The Chosen? I, lo- I love The Chosen. My, me and my family are f- friend, fans of The Chosen. But they do a great job in illustrating a number of, of just powerful biblical truths. One of them uh, of, of Jesus pouring himself out. And this is how they illustrate. There's a scene where the disciples are around the fire and they're debating theology. <laughs> They're just, it's late, they're debating theology. Jesus has been out healing people, preaching, setting people free. And he comes in from a long day, exhausted, worn out, dirty, and they're debating theology. And he just, just goes straight to bed. Like he didn't even engage it like, like, good night. And there's just like this conviction amongst the disciples. Like, oh, like he's doing it. Like we're just, we're just, we're debating here like kids. You know, and, and Jesus poured himself out in the garden when he went to the cross for us. He 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 sweat drops of blood. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful unto the point of death. And he prayed, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He lived wholeheartedly in the book of Hebrews. It tells us that we're to look to Jesus as our example of wholeheartedness in pursuit of the father's will. And that we, in light of that, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by a so great cloud of witnesses, all these people of faith who've gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely. Okay, There's sin that holds us back from being wholehearted. But there's also just weights that we pick up in life that aren't necessarily sinful. They're just cares to this life that accumulate. There's bills that need to be paid. There's, there's lawns that need to be mowed. There's hair that needs to be cut. You know, there's, there's tires that need to be changed and oil that needs to be changed. There's, there's just those cares of this life that can just weigh on us and distract us and, and, and quench us. And so we're to lay aside every sin and, and weights that, that ensnare us, that weigh us down, that, that hold us back. And he says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Or let us run wholeheartedly. Let's, let's give our all and not give up in the race. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' disciples, you might argue that they, they also uh, exemplified wholeheartedness. This here should say uh, disciples here. So, disciples. Jesus' disciples exemplified wholeheartedness. When, when he called them to follow him, he says, follow me. And I love this. They were fishers. They were fishermen. And he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Like Jesus had a greater work for them to do. They were doing the, the day-to-day mundane work that God had given them to do as fishermen. That wasn't a bad thing at all. But Jesus had something even greater for them to be a part of, a greater purpose than just merely clocking in and working the nine-to-five, right? There's a work beyond the work or under the work, and it was being fishers of men. And it says they immediately left their nets and they followed him. They left the family business. They gave up the comforts of, of, that they had. Later on in, in, in Mark 10, uh, Peter said, um, hey, we've left everything to follow you. Like, and, and Peter's a great example of wholeheartedness. I mean, he's just, he's all in. And he has to put his foot in his mouth a number of times. You know, he's the one when he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus at the end of John. He jumps out of the boat, right? He's the one when Jesus says, hey, I got to wash your feet, Peter. And he's like, no, no. He says, that, Jesus says, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And he's like, okay, give me a bath. You know, and he's like, no, you don't need a bath, Peter. Just let me wash your feet, right? He who's... Uh, you're already clean through the word that I've spoken to you. So the disciples. Uh, point two, and this is, I only have two main points here. God requires wholeheartedness in our work. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Maybe you're passionate about your job, but maybe you're not. Maybe you're in school. Okay. Um, Whatever you're doing, though, the Bible tells us not to do it half-heartedly. We're to do it with all of our might. Okay, We're told in Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. Put your heart into it. Energy, heart. Okay, And, and, and see, the gospel changes our view of work, what, our, how we view our work, uh, how we do our work. And why we do our work. We got to have that why behind the what. If we're going to live purposeful, passion, wholeheartedly. Um, passionately and wholeheartedly. He says, whatever you do, do it as for the Lord. Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Okay? If you're focused on men pleasing, it's going to lead to half-heartedness. It's going to hinder you. And then know that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance. As your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. How do we connect our work with God's work? Okay. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Paul says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay. Like, God's called each of us to a specific vocation, and you don't have to be a preacher or a missionary 
to do the work of the Lord. We're all, as Christians, called to do the work of the Lord, right? Amen? We, we, we repeat that here. We're all called to, to the work of the ministry. So how do, we, how do we make that connection between God's work and our work? Or how do, we, how do we do, as he says, the work of the Lord here? Is, is it just evangelism? I definitely would say, yes, it's evangelism. Sharing the gospel, sharing the context, the resurrection, the good news of the resurrection with people. Yes to that. But is it just that? Is there more to it? Is it faithful service, serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor through acts of service? So let your light shine before men that they may see your good words. No, your good works. Right? We need both. Good words of the gospel, good news, and good works. That they may glorify your Father in heaven. This is what we're called to. Both acts of service and both speaking and sharing the gospel. Speaking the truth in love. And that's a winsome, that's a winsome um, witness when, we, when you have both coupled together. Um, and so here, I, I want to close with a prayer together. And then I have some discussion questions for us to, to split up and, and, and answer a couple of these um, this is Psalm 86, 11 through 13. And then if we could just pray this together as men. Psalm, this is David's prayer for an undivided heart. And then we're going to pray that God would open the eyes of our heart uh, from Ephesians 1 in uh, Psalm 119.7. So can we just repeat this and pray this to the Lord together? Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart, for I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Open the eyes of my heart that I may see wondrous things in your word. Know the hope of your calling, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your people, and the power that works towards us who believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.